talking to you about. He's talking to me about a couple places to go after this. And uh, so I'm not sure where we're going at this point. Next week will be a surprise. So uh, feel free after church to uh, give me some ideas. If you have ideas of books that you would like to study, maybe you've always been curious about a book, maybe you'd like to go through that together, uh, I'm open to that. So even if you have a topical uh, subject that you have always wondered about, this would be a good time for that as well, before we get involved deeply in another book. So, uh, be thinking and praying about that while you are uh, partaking in the service today. That would be great. Because I am open to whatever the Lord uh, chooses, to whichever direction the Lord chooses to lead. But we are in Revelation 3, so if you need to open your Bibles to Revelation 3, this is the uh, letter to the church in Laodicea. Say Laodicea. That's an interesting word. It was named after a man's wife. We'll talk about that in a minute. A little, a little uh, hook keep it going here. Uh, this is the last of the seven letters. Remember, this is uh, these are letters that were given to John on the Isle of Patmos. He was in his nineties, out there breaking rocks because of his faith. And uh, there are people in jail today, even in this country, because of their faith. And around the world, there are thousands. to be true as uh, Satan tries to flex his muscles in these last days uh, he's going to get a lot of Christians in trouble because he operates the first system and it's those systems of this world that uh, do not abide by God's law, they abide by some made up man's law and so we need to be strong we need to realize which law we are to obey <laughs> and we need to continue to obey that Neither 
cold nor hot. Would that you were neither cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I am prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Very famous of all the letters, this uh, there are verses in here that are quoted more than any of the other letters. Especially, I stand at the door and knock. And everybody's heard that. You've been around any kind of uh, church proceeding in your life. You've always heard that. That is often used way out of context. We're going to get to that today and maybe give a little different twist than you've heard before, but I really believe we need to always consider context. When people pick that verse out, it sounds like a wonderful verse to have in, the, in a tent meeting to bring people to Jesus. But we're going to discover today that in this context, that is really not what we're talking about. So we're going to get there. That's another way. <laughs> So here we have Jesus introducing himself, as he always does at the beginning of these letters. And the word he uses here first is, Amen. What does Amen mean? Anybody know? You say it all the time. So be it. So be it. Okay? So be it. Another way to put that is, that's true. Or right on. Right? There's all kinds of words we can use to bring that across, but it really means that is true and I agree with it. Right? That's why you hear people in many churches in the middle of a service, they'll say, Amen, brother. Or they'll, you know, they'll, they'll do that kind of thing. And that is to encourage a person who is speaking truth. And so, does Jesus speak truth all the time? That's the right answer. He is the truth and the life, right? That's who he is. He cannot lie. He doesn't know how to lie. Okay? It's not even in his character at all. And so that's very unusual for us to deal with somebody that's like that because everybody I know can lie. And at different times, they will. Okay? For whatever purpose. Uh, that is a very easy thing to do. Our tongue loves to do that. Like James tells us, if left unattended, our tongue will do that on its own. <laughs> okay? Uh, so we need to be aware of that all the time. But uh, the other word that the Bible uses, and only instead of at the end, they use it at the beginning, is the word verily. 
the same thing. You'll read many times in the scripture, very, 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 I say unto you. And that means truthfully, truthfully, you can count on this. Now listen, that's what it means. Just like at the end, you would say, everything I've said is true, amen. So be it, and let it be, it is true, all right? So that's very, very important. Uh, a verse to come, on, come in on this, amen, is in uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20. If you look at that for a moment, 2 Corinthians 1.20. We're going to read 1.20 through 22. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Remember, we use that imagery a lot when we talk about coming to the Lord and receiving the Holy Spirit when we come to Jesus. That is like an engagement ring. It is. Much like an engagement ring. That's a promise that we will be at the wedding feast one day. Okay. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee of our future in heaven. So that's a wonderful thing about the Amen. So he is the Amen. He's also the faithful and true witness. And uh, to get a scripture just to help you with that, a faithful and true witness, go to John 3, the book of John, 331. 331. John 331. It says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth. Somebody convicted is to have an eyewitness. 
And here Jesus says, He has seen it all, He sees it all, He's been everywhere, He knows everything. So He is the one who can tell the truth all the time and lie. So He is the true and faithful witness. And then He is the creator of all things. He is the creator of all things. Not only is He the Amen, the faithful and true witness, but He is the first of creators. Uh, create all things. And that, don't get confused with that. Let me read this and then I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, let's go to Colossians 1. Colossians 1.15. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And don't get confused with that. That doesn't mean that there are people and whole denominations take that to say that he was created before anybody else. No. The firstborn in this society was the one who was preeminent in the family. Okay? He would inherit everything. He was the guy that would inherit everything. He was preeminent in the family. And that is what it's saying here. Jesus is preeminent. Okay? He is the top dog. And so that's what we need to realize when it says that. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Like gravity, can't see it, but it's there. <laughs> Just jump off the building, you'll find out. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Who's in control of this election? God. Amen. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Think about that. He holds everything together. We just talked about gravity. Without gravity, you realize we're going a thousand miles an hour? You ever done the math? We, take a, we make a complete rotation in 24 hours, right? It's 24,000 miles around this earth. We're going a thousand miles an hour. Does it look like it? Does it feel like you're a thousand miles an hour? No, that's because of gravity. Okay? And praise God for that. We fly off of those beings. <laughs> we would fly right out into space. Ever, have, ever throw something like that? Yeah. So it's incredible the way he holds everything together. He holds our bodies together. He holds our bodies together. He gives us skin that encapsulates all this liquid that's within us. Otherwise, we'd just leak out. We'd be done. He holds us together. Praise his holy name. It's incredible. Incredible. True story. I couldn't let that go. Anyway. Um, verse 18 here it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. Who's the head of this church? Is this Brett's church? No. Is this John's church? No, this is God's church. Okay, Jesus Christ is in is the head of this church. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That means the preeminent one to defeat death. He defeated death by rising again. That in everything he might be preeminent. There's that word. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Wow, I can keep going. This fantastic words there. But uh, that shows you that he is the creator. 
And every society on the planet, whether they believe in Jesus Christ or not, believe in a creation of some kind. Okay, they all go back to something that was created because as the beginning of Romans says, it's obvious, isn't it? It's just obvious. Just look at a flower, look at an orchid. Look at the flowers that are all over the woods and the fields. I mean, God planted those and they are perfect. They're incredibly meticulously made. Those kind of things would not just come out of love. Okay, anybody with a brain can figure that out. No, God created all of and it is it is just apparent everywhere you go. So he is not only the amen, he is faithful and true witness, but he's also the creator of all things. He is the source of all things. Now, why would he introduce himself like this? Well, <clears throat> these people had denied who Christ was. They had denied the deity of Christ, like many churches today. They had taken Jesus out of equal space with God as he is God. He claimed to be God. They said, no, no, he was a good teacher. Okay, he was a great rabbi. But when you do that, like in the book of Colossians here, the reason Paul wrote to Colossae was because they had done the same thing. And the people there had uh, taken Jesus out of his appropriate place and taken him down off of, out of the Godhead. And so, very important. Okay, very important. That's why in Colossians 4.16, Paul makes an interesting statement as he closes this letter down. He says, and when this letter, letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. <laughs> so obviously he had written a letter to Laodicea as well at the time. We don't have that letter. We don't know where that letter is, but it obviously says much the same thing as the book of Colossians. Because Paul was dealing with that issue even in his day. And now 30 years later, as Jesus tells us about this church, they have completely left uh, Jesus out of the church. He is no longer even in the church. Okay. He's standing outside, knocking on the door of this church. So this church does not have Jesus at all. So does that make it a church? No. That makes it a business. Okay? Or a social club. And that's the way the church had become in Laodicea. Any church that denies the fullness of who Jesus Christ is, is a Laodicean church. And I would tell them that to their face. Not really a church, but an unsaved group of people that meet together. That's all. You need to call it what it is. Now let me give you a little background before we go into this uh, reprimand that he has for this church. Notice there is no commendation. There is no, I know you're doing great things here and you're doing great things there. They weren't doing anything great. Okay? Nothing for God. If God is not in it, it is not great. And it isn't. You may do wonderful things for your own selfish purpose. You know, go take it, some food to some guy or whatever, but that is not in God's economy a great thing to do. Okay? You're doing it for your own personal glory. You're not doing it for his glory. So there's a big difference. 
0.16 miles away, which was Colossi, was about six miles away. And then a town called Heracles, which was about 10 or 11 miles away. And they still are, okay, if you go over there, uh, still are that distance apart. And uh, that's going to come into play as we get through this. Now, the Lycus River flows nearby uh, the town of Laodicea, about a mile away. It's this really beautiful river. Unfortunately, that river dries up many times in the summer. And so it's not a very dependable river. And it's very dirty when, even when it runs, kind of like a snake. A little dirty, okay? Not something you would like to go dip your cup in. Uh, at least I would. Uh, it is the most southeastern of all these churches. This is the last church on this coastal route that is going around reading all these letters to these churches. These pastors are reading the letters to the churches. It is a crossroads for trade. There were roads running north and south and east and west. It was a very rich city. It was built by Antiochus II about 300 years before Christ. It was named for his wife. Whose name was Laodicea. That was his wife's name. And then right after he built her the town, he divorced her. Got rid of that woman. But uh, the name stuck to that church. Uh, today there is a church, there is a town that's right there. It's called Estiazar. I'm glad you can't see my spelling because they're not appropriate. It's written grammatically, phonetically, so I can say it. Estiazar is the name of the town that's there in Turkey today. Uh, there were many Jews there, we know from history, uh, that there were thousands of Jews in this city. <coughs> very liberal Jews, however, much like Israel today, very, very liberal Jews, not in tune with God at all. There were two theaters there. Most towns in that day had one theater, but they were very into the dramatic and they Greek drama, and they had two nice theaters. They had a stadium that would seat over 60,000 people. Yeah, that's as big as most NFL stadiums today. Uh, and they only had about 40,000 in town at the time that this was written anyway. But it was a very, very rich town. Uh, the problem they had was water. May the good Lord bless and keep you, sister. Uh, they had a trouble with water. The water in uh, the town just up the road in Heropolis, uh, the water was very, very hot there. They are known even today uh, for their hot springs, uh, much like Lola Hot Springs, or the only, most of you have been to Hot Springs. And even today, the country of Turkey is developing that for their uh, geothermal for power. In Turkey, they're working on uh, developing that to create electricity. So it's still that way there today. And so they had a pipeline coming into Laodicea from uh, from Heracles to bring in the hot water because that was used for medicinal reasons, right? You go sit in a hot mineral tub. Uh, we do that with Epsom salt after a hard day, and it does help, doesn't it? Feel better, it helps your muscles. And so they used that in a therapeutic way to help and to heal was those were those waters. Now were those drinkable waters? You wouldn't want to drink water out of 
sulfur and all those smells. You know what I'm talking about if you've been to a, a hot spring. Uh, no, it's not really drinkable. And of course, by the time it got to Laodicea, that hot water would no longer be hot, would it? After going through that much pipe. Believe it or not, they actually did have underground pipes going that distance. Okay, 10 miles and then 6 miles. Underground pipe that they had built. They hollowed out stones about three feet across, uh, like pipes, at least one or two pipes from each place. And they would bring that water into a tower and lay the sea and then disperse it from the tower through uh, plumbing pipes. <clears throat> they obviously had to treat this water to drink it. We'll get to that in a moment as well. And the other town, obviously, Colossae had, they were near the mountains. So they had mountain spring water coming right down into town. And on a hot summer day, why would we blossom? They get cold, cold water. But obviously, you put that cold water in a pipe and bring it six miles, is that water going to be cold? No. It'll be the temperature maybe of the ground, but in the summertime, that ground gets hot. Okay? And so, it wasn't very far underground. The reason they did it underground was so enemies couldn't pollute it, right? They couldn't get to the water source. They didn't leave it just in canals. They put it under underground. Pretty amazing engineering feat, really. So they would uh, bring their water into town. Uh, obviously, they needed to treat it, just like we need to treat our water when we get out of the river or we get out of a heavily polluted well. We have to treat it before we drink it. Uh, city water is highly treated. Go drink it out of the water fountain, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, Lewiston water is highly treated. And so obviously they treated their water. And it came to me this week as I was praying through this, you know, they needed to treat that water to make it palatable and to make it beneficial to them, to hydrate them. And it's no different than we as people, spiritually, who need to be treated better. We need to have salvation. We need to have a new heart. We need to have a new mind given to us by God. But we're not used to it. We're just not. We need to be transformed. And so we need to be treated as well. So my prayer is that we have been treated for God. A big, big uh, spring of water towards Colossae, about five miles away, not quite through the town. Uh, brought this double pipe in. Uh, all the water there has a high mineral content, so you can, if you go there today, I saw pictures this week, you can look it up, there's a lot of mineral buildup in those pipes. Those terracotta pipes are, and those hollow stone pipes are still built up with large amounts of, you know what I'm talking about, you've all been in an old house and cut a pipe where there's all kinds of buildup in the pipe. That even happened uh, today, just like we just talked about. Uh, so that's a little bit about their water supply. They were very wealthy. They were a banking city. A banking city. They had major banking uh, business there. So lots of money. Uh, so much so that in 60 AD, they had a massive earthquake that destroyed the whole town. And we talked about earthquakes with the other cities, remember? And Rome would then come in and rebuild the city. And then they'd build an altar to the Caesar because he rebuilt the city and worshiped Caesar. Not Laodicea. When they're, they, they 
they sent money to Laodicea, they said, take your money back. We got all the money we need to rebuild our town. And they did. They completely rebuilt it on their own dime and put it back to its gorgeous state again. So they had lots of money. Lots of money. No need help. So they didn't need any help from Rome. Well, no. But you could actually save the money. No, it could save his money. The other, another thing they were known for there was their sheep. Their sheep, even today, if you go there, they uh, raise a different kind of sheep. It's a different breed. I don't know the name of the breed. But it puts out a very soft, extremely soft, shiny black wool. Okay, the wool is shiny and black. Beautiful. And they made carpets out of it. They still do today. They make blankets, clothing, you know, fine suits, leather suits, uh, wool suits, you know, they would really weave it tight and make beautiful clothing. They were known for that. They sold that all over. Uh, as the people came through, they would buy that black uh, cloth that they made that. It was beautiful. The other thing they had was a medical school. They worshipped the god of Escalapius. Remember, we learned that before in a couple other towns. With the, that's where the whole image comes up from the bull with the snake and all that, and you see and all the medical things. That all came from this time and these medical schools. And from the minerals that they had there, they created a salve that they sold all over the world. It was a very, very awesome salve. It was a salve to treat eye problems. Okay? If you put it on your eyes, if you had a pink eye or you had some sort of an eye issue, and it would soothe your eyes and heal your eyes. So they were, they were very well known for that. Now all that comes into play, doesn't it? Think back to what we just read. Okay. As always, Jesus uses the situation in that town to deal with them. He uses those things that they're familiar with to deal with them, just like he does us today. He deals with us in our own individual way because we all come from different backgrounds, we all have different experiences, so he deals with us individually. And that's what he's doing here in this supposed church of Laodicea. Uh, it was very expensive, I said, uh, for many eye ailments. Just 30 years or so after its start, there were no believers, however, in this group. They had a wrong view of Jesus. Paul knew some Christians were there 30 years before when he started the church, and he wrote to them in Colossians 4. And said, go read this to the church. There was obviously some believers there then. But by the end of the first century, no life. No life there. Can that happen to any church? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. And that's why he gives us this warning. Yep. Look at, uh, let's walk through this verse 15. He says, I know. Your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Now, when I was growing up, I, I interpreted that, because I heard a few sermons on that, that uh, the hot were those who were on fire for Jesus, right? And the cold were those people that didn't want anything to do with God. Okay, and the lukewarm, were those who 
about Jesus, but didn't do anything about it. They said they were Christians. You know what I'm talking about? I call them Jack Christians. <laughs> like Jack Mormons or Jack Catholics. You know, people that grew up in a Catholic home, they're Catholic. Well, no, they're not Catholic. They don't go to the Catholic Church. They don't believe it was Catholic belief. But they call themselves, you know what I'm talking about? They call themselves Catholics. Like people from the prairie. You're from the prairie. Most likely you have relatives who are Catholic. Okay, so most people claim to be Catholic. That is not how you become something, okay, just by calling yourself that. So, that's what I was always taught, okay? But as I studied the context of this, and I've studied this before, as I've gone through Revelation through before, really what, that's not what they're talking about. You can look at it that way, but that's really not what they're talking about. Is cold water useful? Yeah, 100 degree day? Nothing quenches your thirst like cold water does. You can drink pop, you can drink whatever, it doesn't quench your thirst like good, cool water. Okay. Cold water. So it's a great value. So God says, I wish you'd be of great value. I wish you'd be refreshing to people. Refresh their spirit. You ever had anybody call you when you're in a bad mood to refresh your spirit? Or talk to you? Absolutely. We can do that for each other, can't we? We're supposed to do that. And being hot, is there healing in hot mineral water? Yes. Is there cleansing? If you want to wash something, do you use hot water in the sink? Absolutely. There's a great purpose for hot water. So, what he's really saying here is I wish you were useful. I wish you had some purpose. But because of the way you live and the way you've rejected Jesus Christ, you have really no purpose. There's really no reason for you to be breathing. Okay, so really it's because you have no value to God's purposes. And that's what he's saying here. So don't get confused with that and go saying, well, you're just cold. No, cold is a good thing. Okay, cold water is a great thing. So that's a little different interpretation of that. And I hope you can work through that in your own way and come to an uh, but because you are lukewarm and either hot or cold, I will throw up. That's what it means. I will vomit you out of my mouth. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, if you've ever tasted something really yucky that was lukewarm, you know that it works just like Epicat, doesn't it? Makes you want to throw up. It is awful. And that's what water tasted like. It was untreated there. Okay. You can find things to drink right now that uh, would make you want to throw up. And that's what this is saying because if they are no value, there's no reason for them to be calling themselves a church. God here says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And then in 17, he says, uh, He says, uh, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Have you ever met somebody right there? I meet them all the time. I say, you ever think about God? And they go, I don't need him. Only people that have problems need him. Right? I don't have any problems. I got lots of money, got lots of toys, got a great job. 
talking about those people when he was here, didn't he? He said he told his disciples, so don't even talk to those rich Pharisees that think they have everything. Don't even talk to them because they are not in any need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Only people who think they have a problem, right? You have to know you have a need before you want to get better, don't you? Yep. You have to know you're sick before you want to get better. These people didn't think they were sick. Just like so many people today in this incredible country we live in. People complain about the economy all the time, but you are in the 0.1% of the world, okay, just by living in this country. Okay, we are filthy rich compared to other places in this world. Okay, we may not make a million dollars a year, but if you make $50,000 a year, you are filthy rich in the world economy. And that's what these people were. They were richer than anybody around them. So they said, look, I've got all the toys. I've got everything I need. I'm sad. I don't need God in my life. Not only that, but if they were going to be successful, we've talked before, in this, in this place where they had, what, all this wool, they had other farming going on, it was a rich valley. What did they have to be involved in? What did they have to be a part of? The guilds, that's right, the unions. And if you were in a union, you had to go to union meetings. And union meetings were not sanctified meetings. Okay? They were drunk, worshiping false gods. Horrible things you did at those meetings. And they had to be a part of that, didn't they? Or they wouldn't have been able to get these jobs. They wouldn't have been so successful. So we need to think about that too, and we have to relate that to other, like I said, in context with the other churches in that area. That was the way it operated. It was the way it operated. You know, you go into pipe fitting in Chicago, and if you're not in the union, you don't get work. You don't. They control the whole thing. And so you've got to be in that union. And that's the way it was here. So these people have not only Jesus out, but they've accepted the culture at fully. Just like everybody else. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. Okay? That's the way they operate. That's the way a lot of people operate today, especially wealthy people in our country. Okay? That's the way they work. They don't think they have any need. They don't think they're sick. Does God agree with that? <laughs> you don't even realize you are wretched. I pity you. You are pitiable. You are poor. You are blind. What's that have to do with this eyesight thing, right? They knew all about that. No, I, I can picture eyesight. I can fix it. You don't know what I'm talking about. You can't even see how much trouble you're in. And I will. Uh, and you're naked. You need to put on some clothes. Well, we have beautiful black clothing.
said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined. What are you talking about? I've got all kinds of gold. I don't need to get gold from you, God. Well, sorry, but the gold you have will be gone tomorrow. Okay? That's the earthly gold. That's the earthly gold. The gold God's talking about is the gold we put in heaven, right? The gold refined by fire. The treasures that we put into heaven. The people we invest in. The, the way we treat our the way we live our lives. That's what he's talking about. And so when he says, buy gold for me, you mean it means you need to come to me and get the real thing. Okay? Not when you put your faith in currency. Have you ever looked at a fifty dollar bill or hundred dollar bill? What is that? Paper. It's just a piece of like floppy paper. There's nothing there, it's not, doesn't mean a thing. There's no value in that. You can start a fire with it, maybe. There's some value. But there's no value, is it? There's no value. Only value is what people put on it, right? And that can be gone that quick. That can be gone that quick. And not only that, you can be gone that quick. Okay? Remember the story where the farmer had the big, the big crop and he says, I just think we ought to save it up. Let's build bigger barns. God comes to him and says, buddy, you can build all the barns you want, but you're not going to see the barns built. Because you're dying tonight. And so, you can't count on worldly treasure. That's what it's telling us. You can't count on that. Just here one day, gone the next. He says, uh, buy from me gold and find my fire, so that you may be truly rich. That's what it means. You need to get your rich if you know Jesus and you're content. Absolutely. That's how it gets refined, isn't it? That's how we get purified. That's how it gets rid of the junk in our lives. Right? Is to pure is to take us away from the teachings. That's why that's why he says here, those I love, I I teach. I uh I uh discipline, I reprove. He says that in nineteen. So he's reminding them that that's all part of the story. He cancels in the body. Daddy says that you may be truly rich. And then he says, I want you to have some white garments. <coughs> some white garments. What does that mean? Well, that means not the black ones you're wearing. But that means the real garments. Where do we wear white garments? In heaven, right? That's what's always described with people in heaven. They're wearing white. They're wearing white. And that's where we get the word, the robe of righteousness. That's an Isaiah. 61.10. Look at that for a minute. Isaiah 61.10. We're going to sing that song in a minute. And uh, this is where it comes from. I just thought I'd finally tell you, now that we've sung it four or five times, where it comes from. Isaiah 61, <laughs> verse 10. says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. This is Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself out like a priest with beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Alright? So that's where it comes from. And that 
just tells us that when God looks at you, brother and sister, he does not see your sinful state any longer. Once you take the name of Jesus, once you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when God looks at you, he sees the covering of Jesus on your life. He can't look at you if you're full of sin. And we're still full of sin. We still sin. But God gives us that robe of righteousness. That is a huge blessing. Huge blessing. We don't even think about all the time. But we need to be extremely thankful for That's the garments. That's what he's talking about. That's the robe. Yeah, same thing. Robe of, of righteousness that he gives us is the garment of salvation. So, to be, not have the shame of your nakedness, he says, get some proper garments from me. That means clothe yourself with the robe of righteousness that Jesus can give you, so you are not embarrassed. Because otherwise, we should be embarrassed because of our sin. Uh, and then, what's he say? He just has to put this in. And I'm even going to give you, I need to ask you for some sad and on your eyes. You can just hear them and they go, come on, God, we have the best eye salve on the planet. We're known for it. Uh-huh, that's right. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about physical salve. He's talking about the gift of the Spirit that can take the scales off our eyes. I hear that from people all the time. They say the Bible makes no sense. I said, yeah, because you don't have the Holy Spirit. Of course it makes no sense to you. Not supposed to make sense to you. Okay. Exactly right. And when the Holy Spirit was in you, did you have that experience? I had that. I had that experience. The Holy, the Scripture just started to make sense to me. Now, not all of it makes perfect sense. I can't understand everything. But so much that didn't make sense before. Once the Holy Spirit teaches you, it makes perfect sense. And he just teaches us that way. That's the way he operates. And so that's what he's saying here. You people think you have everything. What he's speaking right to the United States of America. That's who he's talking to. These people think they need nothing. That we live around all the time. Everywhere we go. So arrogant. So arrogant. Selfish, self-reliant. Like I prayed at the beginning, we people are so arrogant, they think they control the climate. They do. You're hearing a lot of it right now. Turn on the news. We're gonna be dead in eight to ten years if we don't do something because the climate's just gonna kill us. I'm so scared. Well, get a clue. Who's in control of the climate? Who makes the clouds? You make the clouds? Alright, go outside and make the clouds. Go ahead. No, it's totally absurd. And yet, people are so arrogant, they go that far. They go that far. Okay? So, no, he is saying, I am the only answer to your needs. And you need to realize you have a need. Okay. He says, for those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and what? Have you heard that word before? 
every church ever. And that's the word for us. When we blow it, you're going to blow it. You're going to blow it. When you blow it, what do you do? You just write it off? No. You repent. Okay? You realize, I've been doing this. It's been getting me in trouble. I need to quit. Lord, I repent of it. Please take it away from me. And then you turn around and start walking the other way. Right? That's what you do. That's what repentance means. And we need to realize that that is vital. Not only for people who don't know the Lord at all, but even in our own lives. Repentance isn't just a one-time show. So, I tell you to be zealous, that means be awake, and be doing something for me, and repent. And then the famous verse. And I want you to think about this today, maybe in a different way than you have. He's talking, is he talking to the individuals in this church? Is he, or is he talking to the entire church? Think about it. He says, I stand at the door, I will put in there, of your church, and knock. If anyone in there is awake, if anyone will hear my voice, and will open the door. Anybody in that church, if there's one person, that will realize who I am. Nobody knows who I am here. What Jesus is saying. Nobody's got a clue in that whole church. That whole group of people. But if one person would open the door, I would love to come in and guide them and be with them. And love them. And save them. Yeah. I would love to do that. But no, there's not.
So that means overcome by faith, the one who holds on to their faith. I'll grant you to sit with me on my throne. Just as I've conquered, he conquered, Satan did, he conquered death when he was here. So now he sits on his father's throne, the right hand. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. If you're willing to listen, you're willing to listen. He's there to tell you what you need to do. If you're not willing to listen, doesn't make any difference, does it? Kind of like selective hearing that many husbands have. I am. I am. A number of years ago, my wife said, Brent, you need to go get your hearing checked. They come and check your hearing in school, right? And I go, yeah. There's a gal that's been there this week. Come and check all the kids' hearing. She said, well, go get your hearing checked. You can't hear worth being. And I said, okay, fine. So I went in at lunch one day and I said, hey, would you check my hearing? My wife would like to check my hearing. And uh, she said, yeah, I'll be glad to do that. Sit down. I got a minute. So she sat down. She put on the little ear deals and everything just like she could do with the kids. And uh, we got about three quarters done and started to laugh. And uh, I got done and I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, well, she said, your hearing is fantastic. You're just like my husband. You've got selective hearing. You hear what you want to. And I go, do I have to tell her that? She goes, yes. <laughs> you have to tell her that. So I'm guilty as anybody. I'm guilty as anybody. Uh, we all do that, don't we? We hear what we want to hear. And from God, we need to hear what he tells us whether we want to hear it or not. And so I hope, and in closing, that after all of these letters, we've gotten a good idea of the way that churches can operate. And every church of any size has people at different states in the church at that time. There are people who are accepting the world. There are people who completely don't want anything to do with God purposes in many churches. There are you know, people who are listening to teachers that are false teachers who have accepted them. All these churches. That's why God told them, God told uh, these pastors when they came and got this from John to read all the letters to everybody. Okay? Because yeah, there are specific problems in specific places, but at one time or another, every church is going to go through parts of all of them. Does that make sense? And that's just within our hearts. Okay? Just as individuals, we're all going to go through phases where we go through different trials and go through different issues. And we need to always look to Jesus and remember who's in control. Remember who has your best interest in mind, who is true. You're not going to find truth anywhere else. Nowhere else. You're not going to find the compassion and the grace that he offers you anywhere else. There's no place else to get. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can't forget that. Don't let the world tell you there's many ways to get to God. That is a bold-faced lie from the pit of hell. Don't believe it. Okay, only one way. And Jesus tells us clearly in these letters. 
And he is more than willing, no matter what the person stated, no matter how bad you think sin, no matter what they've done, what do you do? Repent and come to me. And I'll sit down with you and we'll have lunch. That's what Jesus wants to do. That's what Jesus wants to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, for the fact that John got this message straight from you, that Jesus said, that he should write these things down and that he should make sure, as only God can do, that they were preserved all these years so that we can sit here today and here today and read the very same letter that was sent to this group of people who call themselves a church in May we never head down that road. May we never head down this road. That these people have gone. Father, I, I pray for wisdom as we deal with people who are attending churches like this. We all know people who are attending churches like this. That have completely kicked you out of church. They don't honor you anymore. They don't praise you. They don't even talk about what you did to them on the cross anymore. Father, I pray for wisdom that I can keep my tongue when necessary and use your words when necessary to reprove and to, and to wake up those people who are living in their false confidence in you. Father, we want to be ambassadors of your truth. We want to be a shining light. We want to be salt in this world. I pray that each of us would do that very early this week as we stand for you. For we love you. We thank you for the amazing things that you do in our lives every day. You bless us so much. Help us never to rely on our blessings.